It is uh, hard to believe the size of this crowd. You guys couldn't find anything better to do on a Sunday afternoon? I mean, I, I gave, up, gave up my nap, my Sunday afternoon nap, but I'm speaking. You didn't have to give up your Sunday afternoon nap. Uh, what a privilege to be here. I really appreciate uh, Pastor John and Majestic View. Thanks for having me in, you know, especially you don't know me, so it's always a risk when you bring in somebody you don't know. But uh, I want to tell you, this church is... Uh, just a phenomenal church. If you live anywhere in the area and you don't have a good Bible teaching church home, uh, man, this is the place to be. They, they understand uh, the centrality of Scripture. They understand the centrality of the gospel. And I've really enjoyed um, my time with uh, John and look forward to many more uh, coffees. I mean, and plus any church that has its own coffee shop is, I mean, pretty much that, that's the divine order, right? Biblical clear gospel, preaches the end times, and has a coffee shop. That's like, that's the, uh, the what do you call it, the grand slam of good churches, I don't know. Well, um, I have a lot that I want to try to talk about. You know, every time I speak, the last few years anyway, I try to put together topics and information that I think is relevant both for our time and for our, our setting. And so most of the material that you're going to hear in this presentation uh, comes from my newest book, uh, The Spirit of the Antichrist, which I'll say more about in a moment. But I've also added some stuff even as recently as last night that I think uh, um, is happening in our world. I'm going to address the Supreme Court decision from Friday and some of those things. So a lot of material, so I'm going to talk pretty fast. Um, just know that uh, we are recording this. Uh, you can go to notbyworks.org sometime later tonight. We'll have it posted, the video and the slides and everything. So don't feel like you got to you know, take slides. I promise I'm always accused of talking very fast, so don't feel like you got to try to keep up taking notes. Just to soak it in. And we've got the scheduled time is from 2 to 4, but I'm going to allow uh, some time at the end for questions. I, I really enjoy the interaction and want to get your comments and your questions, uh, so hopefully we'll have time for that. Uh, but uh, anyway, just want to say a quick word. My wife Wendy is with me. She's out working at uh, our resource table. Be sure and check out some of the resources that are there before uh, you leave today. Uh, I want to thank uh, Kelly for helping coordinate this and Maggie also for helping coordinate this. I've enjoyed meeting both of them. Um, but uh, Not By Works Ministries, we've been around since 1999. Uh, it's our primary uh, focus. We travel and speak at conferences and college and seminary campuses and churches and um, pretty much raised our kids on the road with that. We have six kids, and uh, most of them grown and married now, but uh, uh, they've uh, been a big part of our ministry through the years. And so whenever I get the opportunity to speak someplace where I don't have to get on a plane or don't have to travel multiple days across the country, it's a blessing. And we live right in the backyard here in the Black Forest, and so so delighted to get connected with some of the folks here and get invited to come. Uh, so love to stay connected. Be sure and sign up for our newsletter uh, or take one of my cards on the table. I, I love to meet for coffee and just uh, dialogue and get to know folks. So our topic uh, this afternoon is the great satanic reset, what to know and how to prepare. And as I mentioned, most of this material is uh, coming from volume one of my book, Spirit of the Antichrist, uh, which is where I kind of expose something that I think most of you all know intuitively, but maybe have not necessarily heard it presented in this fashion through the grid or the lens of God's Word. In other words, there are a lot of people out there that understand there's uh, something going on behind the scenes that we, that, that's really more than what you can see and feel and touch and hear. There's some shadow government, sometimes you'll hear it called, or the deep state. 
but very few people are actually connecting that to the biblical truth of God's plan of the ages that pretty much lays it all out there that yes there is a Luciferian conspiracy Satan is alive and well he's trying to take over the world he wants to make it his own and if you believe the Bible as I do and you believe biblical prophecy you know that we are headed toward a one world system politically uh, you know uh, uh, economically and religiously one world system headed by ultimately the Antichrist, Satan's man of the hour. So I get into laying the foundation for that, and then I deal with several manifestations of that spirit in our world today. And I'm going to talk about some of that today, but uh, the full uh, details are in the book. We also have a DVD series or streaming series that covers some of the same material, not in as much detail as the book, but if you're more of a visual learner or video person, you might take a look at that out there uh, as well. So we're definitely living in a time of historic change. You know, the world is uh, changing faster and more radically than in any other time in human history, especially in the last uh, two years. In fact, many major news outlets and key world figures are suggesting that we start using BC and AC before COVID and after COVID to reckon time. The New York Times, for example, said, our new historical divide, BC and AC, the world before corona and the world after. Or here's the Financial Times of London. Again, BCAC world, before and after COVID. Sometimes events happen so fast that their effects are upon us before we even realize they have happened. I was thinking about this this last week. My wife and I were taking a long overdue vacation celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary. Very seldom through the years have we had time alone that's not ministry related because of our extensive uh, travel. But as I was walking around just you know, enjoying some downtime and going into the different stores and stuff. And I, I saw those little circles on the floor that say six feet apart, and they're all scuffed up and torn up, and you can barely read them anymore. And you see remnants of this, what I call the control of virus scandemic that came out two years ago, but that now seem to have kind of shifted aside, like they serve their purpose, and now no one even thinks about that anymore. And yet we've changed we've changed. Um, for those who are paying attention, though, there are always signals that alert us that something very serious is going on. Michelle Bachman recently said in an interview with Jan Markell, quote, we are literally watching the twilight of Western civilization. I really appreciate uh, uh, her, and I could not agree more. So I want to talk about the biblical foundation for why this stuff matters. Uh, Obviously, the Bible reminds us that a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Another translation puts it this way, a prudent man sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The Bible tells us every prudent man acts with knowledge, meaning studies and pays attention, but a fool lays open his folly. A paraphrase of that verse says, a wise man thinks ahead. But a fool doesn't and even brags about it. Proverbs, or 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 is a verse that I often inscribe in the cover of Spirit of the Antichrist when I'm asked to sign it. And that is, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. One of my mentors in ministry, Dr. Mike Stallard, an outstanding theologian and prophecy expert, he said recently at a conference where we were both speaking, and I made a note of it, he said, the last thing the world needs now is more sleepy Christians. So by the way, I'm glad you didn't go take a nap this afternoon. 
But we're not talking about physical sleep. We're talking about spiritual sleepiness. So a lot of people stick their head in the sand, and a lot of people think the information that I'm covering today is maybe too heavy, too negative, too depressing. Well, for those who find this information too sensational or somehow convince yourselves it's irrelevant, then I suggest just keep your head in the sand. Now, I know here in Colorado we don't have any sandy ocean beaches, but I do know there's like an Ace Hardware and a Home Depot near here. You can just go get a five-gallon bucket and a bag of children's sand, and that works just as well if you choose to ignore what's going on around us. But for the rest of us, uh, hold on tight because it's going to be a wild ride. Much of this you may be familiar with. I'm assuming probably a lot of you. Uh, some of it may be new uh, to you. But the Bible warns that in the last days, perilous times will come. I don't have the time to get into it uh, this afternoon, but in the book I make the case that biblically the phrase last days always refers to the present church age. So for 2,000 years we've been living in the last days. The end times is different. The end times begins with the rapture and encompasses that 16% of Bible prophecy that has not been fulfilled yet. All of the things to come as God's plan of the ages comes to fulfillment with the rapture, the tribulation, the sealed trumpet and bold judgments, the abomination of desolation, the two witnesses, the battle of Armageddon, the return of Christ to set up his millennial reign on, on earth, the rebuilt temple, uh, the eternal state ultimately. All of that is yet to come. But in these last days in which we're living, perilous times will come because evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And people will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. One of the most frequent emails that I get at Not By Works Ministries is people from across the country asking me if I know of a good church in their area. Because these days, the, the church is largely apostate. Very few churches today are like Majestic View, standing firm on the Word of God as the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. Standing firm on the inerrant, infallible Word of God as our standard. And even if you can find one that values the Word of God, Many times they ignore the subject of Bible prophecy. They don't really teach about that 16% of the Bible. I call those churches the 84% club. And if you're comfortable learning 84% of the Bible, go to one of those churches. But to try to find a church today that's clear on the gospel, clear as the Bible is our only authority, and teaching Bible prophecy, it's getting harder and harder. Then you add to that, in our current day, finding churches that are willing to take a stand against the medical tyranny and government overreach, and that's a very, very small group of people. The Bible tells us that in, in, in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The subtitle of my book is The Gathering Cloud of Deception. And Satan, as Jesus tells us, is a liar. Uh, when he speaks, he can only speak a lie. Everything he says is a lie. He's a liar all along. And he is the great deceiver. And so much of what we see happening right now is because evil men and imposters are growing worse and worse, deceiving and being uh, deceived. Uh, people are going to uh, speak lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So as we talk about the great satanic reset, most of you probably picked up on, that's a play on uh, Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum's great Reset. By now, I'm sure most of you know that he is a key player in all of this, a key Luciferian, literal Satan worshiper that wants to usher in an, a satanically inspired and satanically led new world. Uh, the phrase, build back better, is a mantra of World Economic Forum. That's because the Luciferian credo is order out of chaos. They have to destroy 
what God created in order to build it back according to their own design. Remember, if you go back to the garden, uh, the Luciferians think Satan, Lucifer, the serpent, as he's referred to in Genesis, uh, in the book of Genesis, is the hero. He's the uh, protagonist. God is the antagonist, right? And so Satan, from his, when he, ever since he got kicked out of heaven and brought one-third of the angels with him, has been trying to take over this world for his own. He couldn't have you know, heaven. He couldn't take the throne of God there. So he said, well, I'll take the earth. And so he's been trying to turn on its head everything that God created. What God creates for good, Satan takes twist and uses it for his own uh, evil means. Uh, every single news item today really can be traced back to the World Economic Forum. Uh, he, he, they talk about st stakeholder capitalism. Maybe you've heard that phrase. It sounds kind of interesting and intriguing, but when you really look into it, stakeholder just means they got the stake and you have nothing to hold. I mean, it's all about them. They want to make you feel like you have a voice, but you really don't. Uh, you'll own nothing and like it, as we shall see in just a moment. Uh, the World Economic Forum and the United Nations have signed a partnership agreement to accelerate the 2030 agenda. Not many people are aware of this. Uh, I don't have time to get into it in today's presentation, but in a separate video presentation, an eight-parter that I did, I talk about the Luciferian timeline and how for the last hundred years in their own writings and leaked documents and in public, right, in plain sight, they've been talking about the year 2025 to 2030 as their end game. That's when they want to usher in this satanically inspired one world uh, system. And so uh, recently a lot of people aren't aware that they, because of the success that they had with the pandemic and how surprised they were and how, and how easy it was to get most people in the world to just roll over and worship at the altar of government, uh, they've now accelerated that. And they're coming right out and saying that now we really believe we can get this done uh, by 2025. Now again, one caveat is just because the Luciferians say they're going to do something by a certain timetable does not mean it's going to happen. Amen? I mean, God is the ultimate one who has the final say. He's sovereign, and if God wants to continue on for another hundred years to have more people come to faith in Christ, he's going to do it. So they've been trying to usher in this one world system for centuries, and they haven't been able to do it. They've had many false starts or what have you. But right now, I can tell you they are salivating. They are chomping at the bit. Klaus Schwab, who's over 80 now, just is determined to make this happen before he dies. He can taste it. And they are right there at the cusp of the finish line, and they are pulling out all the stops, trying to do everything they can uh, to make uh, this happen. So the, great, uh, the World Economic Forum's Great Reset uh, is, is, did not come about, by the way, as a reaction to COVID. A lot of people think that they started this once COVID hit. Uh, first of all, COVID, we now know, uh, was planned 22 years in advance. Uh, I have a whole chapter on this in the book in which I give, I think it's 15 or 16 smoking gun evidences that this was pre-planned. This was not organic and just caught everybody by surprise. They rolled it out on purpose. It was part of the plan. But they've been planning on the Great Reset for many years, and what they did after COVID was rolled out was they just went and, and tweaked their website. didn't tweak it, but made, made major changes where they kind of put COVID at the center of everything and, and, and are making that now sort of the, the impetus to really get this thing moving, but it really represents the Luciferian uh, endgame. Um, you know, uh, I know a lot of this that we're going to be talking about is familiar to some of you. Some of it may not be, but all of it sounds kind of negative, but I always like to remind people that 
to really appreciate good news, you have to understand the bad news. Now, we know the good news. We know who wins in the end. We know that this is all part of God's plan. If you believe the Bible like I do, you know we're headed towards a one-world system one way or the other. First, it's going to be led by the Antichrist and ultimately by the King of kings and Lord of lords himself when Christ comes back, takes the throne, rules the entire world in perfect peace and justice with a rod of iron. So it's coming to a one-world system. I'm going to show that biblically here in just a second. But the fact is, to, to understand what we're facing right now, not only is it in obedience to the biblical uh, command to be prepared, as I just showed you from Proverbs, uh, but it also helps us appreciate the good news more. Because we're on the good guy's side. We're on, you know, the guys that win. And we understand the, the, the final analysis. But it may get much worse before it gets better. So the Great Reset, uh, you know, Kosh Schwab came out with shortly after COVID, the, the book COVID-19, uh, The Great Reset, unless, in which he's using the uh, pandemic as a pretext to put in place their long-planned agenda for a one-world economic, political, and religious uh, system. Uh, many major news outlets are talking about this. Here's Time Magazine. You can kind of see how they are uh, graphically picturing the world being remade. And that's really what they want to do. They want to remake the world, which means remaking humanity, as we'll talk about in just a moment. But uh, Klaus Schwab is the man behind the World Economic Forum, born in Ravensburg, uh, Germany in 1938. It's 445 miles south of Berlin, but just 100 miles north across the border from Davos, uh, Switzerland. Now, Klaus is a child of Adolf Hitler's Germany, a police, a police state regime that was built on fear and violence, on brainwashing and control, on propaganda and lies, on eugenics and dehumanization. Sound familiar? Uh, on a chilling grand and grandiose vision of a new order that would last a thousand years. Uh, again, he's in his 80s now, and that's why there's such an urgency on his part. Uh, he's dedicated his life to reinventing Hitler's dystopian nightmare and trying to turn it into a reality, not just for Germany, uh, but for the entire world. He likes to appear in his galactic garb, as you see on the screen here, when making major announcements. And unsurprisingly, Schwab is connected to Jeffrey Epstein, like most others that are part of the Luciferian elite. Schwab is the front man right now for the New World Order agenda. And while the Luciferian conspiracy is by no means monolithic, meaning you know one person is calling the shots and it just happens, it's quite chaotic and there's quite a lot of competing agendas and not everybody up the food chain is involved at the same levels. Nevertheless, the World Economic Forum right now and Klaus Schwab are clearly in the driver's seat. He's at mission command, if you will, which is kind of makes sense because he looks like he's wearing a mission command suit from Star Trek or something. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's why he wears it. I don't know. Schwab's history on the internet has been well sanitized and making it difficult to find out much about his early life, but this is because his family was active in the Nazi agenda. His father, in fact, worked at a, a, a camp when he was when his father was a youth. He worked at one of the youth uh, camps. Um, Bill Gates has also become a fixture at the World Economic Forum since 1996. Henry Kissinger is also a very influential person throughout the history of the WEF, as well as the late David Rockefeller, and also Al Gore, just to name. A few at their annual meetings in Davos, in which they try to imagine a better world and and plan on ways to reset the world and make it free from depopulation by all of us useless breathers. They often have meditation sessions. It is a spiritual movement. 
but it's a Luciferian spiritual movement. Um, so the World Economic Forum has essentially become the COVID response headquarters. Almost everything you saw rolled out in the United States emanated from the World Economic Forum. So Klaus Schwab says the pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world. All of the big pharma corporations, including all the ones that have produced COVID vaccinations, as they call them, are listed as key partners on the World Economic Forum site. Uh, here, Klaus Schwab says, at the time of writing, referring to the COVID-19, the Great Reset book, the pandemic continues to worsen globally. Many of us are pondering when things will return to normal. The short answer is never. Well, they just tell you right up front, this is it. You forget what you used to know as normal. Nothing will ever turn to the broken sense of normality that prevailed prior to the crisis. By broken, he means national sovereignty, independent rights, uh, controlling your own economics and your own bank accounts and so forth. That was broken. Uh, that prevailed prior to the crisis because the coronavirus pandemic marks a, a fundamental inflection point in our global trajectory. Some analysts call it a major bifurcation. Others refer to a deep crisis of biblical proportions. See, they know the Bible. Satan knows the Bible better than most Christians. He just doesn't believe it. He, he knows it, but he doesn't think it's going to work out that way. He thinks God's wrong, right? Um, but the essence remains the same. The world as we knew it in the early months of 2020 is no more dissolved in the context of the pandemic. Radical changes of such consequence are coming that some pundits have referred to a before coronavirus and after coronavirus era, as we looked at with uh, the uh, New York Times and the Financial Times articles. We will continue to be surprised by both the rapidity and unexpected nature of these changes. And believe me, it's they're way down the, the track at this point. There's a lot more uh, coming, and this was written in the early days of the pandemic. As they conflate with each other, they will provoke second, third, fourth, and more order consequences, cascading effects, and unforeseen outcomes. So they're telling you right up front what they're going to do. Another one of the Luciferian credos is they got to tell you what they're going to do before they do it. Now, a lot of times that's cryptic. It's A lot of times you don't recognize that they told you what they were going to do until after it happens and you go back and you look at some Hollywood movie or television script and you go, oh yeah, amazing, right? Uh, but they like to tell you what they're going to do before they do it and they're certainly laying it out right there in that book. Another one of his books that came out in 2013, so some time ago, is called The Fourth Industrial Revolution. The Fourth Industrial Revolution, or the 4IR as they call it, will affect the very essence of our human experience. It's basically techno-tyranny. And so here's a, you can't see this, I know it's small, but I just wanted to show you an example of something from their website in which they went in later and, and superimposed over it the COVID-19 information. So basically they've been planning for this reset for a long time. Now they're using the, the pandemic as the uh, uh, excuse for it. Schwab said, to achieve a better outcome, the world must act jointly and swiftly to revamp all aspects of our societies and economies from education to social contracts and working conditions. And again, I know you're familiar with the eight predictions of what the world will be like in 2030. You've probably seen the video. I'm not going to play it just for the sake of time. But the number one on that list was you'll own nothing and be happy about it. You'll own nothing and be happy about it. I watched a seminar. It's a ton of information at the World Economic Forum. If you have the stomach for it, you should spend some time there. But I watched a seminar put on by the World Economic Forum that was streamed from that website. 
And a World Economic Forum representative was literally mocking those who thought they needed to own things. Uh, I don't remember the exact quote, but she, was, she basically kept saying, why can't you just lease it? Why, can't, why do you need to own it? Why do you feel entitled to own things? Just lease it. We'll take care of it. And they're even promoting the Great Reset to our children in outlets like uh, Sesame Street programming. Uh, there's a reason why they call it television programming, by the way, and they're, uh, they're getting into the minds of our kids to promoting the Great Reset. Uh, so really, the Great Reset is being advanced as a necessary response to an alleged global pandemic, but it's couched in terms like global governments, biosecurity, the new normal or the new deal for nature, the Green New Deal, uh, or the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And Schwab sits at the center of this matrix like a spider on a giant web. His aim is to replace democracy with a global leadership of hand-picked and unelected officials whose duty is not to serve the public, but to impose the rule of the Luciferian elite on that public with as little interference from the rest of us as possible. Now here's his newest book, came out just a couple of months ago, The Great Narrative, he calls it, For a Better Future. And listen to some of these quotes as they get more and more in your face about what is coming. In this new book, he says, the pandemic has occurred at a very particular juncture when our economies and societies seem ill-suited to meet many of the challenges that lie ahead. Yeah, it occurred at a very unique juncture because that's when they planned it for it to occur. When the geopolitical and technological landscapes are being reshaped in a way that will make them unrecognizable in just a few years. Solutions to the major challenges we face, by the way, this is another uh, Luciferian uh, agenda. It's called the Hegelian Dialectic. I have a whole section on that in the book. I'm not going to get into it here except to just say that the Hegelian Dialectic is problem, reaction, solution. So they create problems or challenges, as here call, he's calling them here, with a purpose of uh, having us cry out for the solution, you know, save me from the boogeyman, when all along what, they, what we're crying for is what they were trying to get us to do from the beginning. In other words, they, they, the Luciferians feel like it's easier to get people to go along when they do it willingly rather than at gunpoint. Now, eventually they'll do it at gunpoint, but you know, if they can get most of the people just to jump on the, the wagon without any resistance, they're, they're happy to do that. So here's these challenges, and he says that we have some solutions, but they'll require a great deal of innovation and dramatic changes in our economies and societies. Notice this as well as in the institutions. Read marriage, church you know, those types of things, laws and rules that govern them. Our life habits and modes of consumption will also need to change dramatically. Modes of consumption. They're going to control uh, what you eat, when you can eat, what you can buy, how much you can buy, whether you can buy anything. That's their plan. Could cryptocurrencies advance an environmental objectives and the policies that support them? Could they be used to accelerate the demise of the U.S. dollar? See, they have to bring down America. America's the one thing still standing in the way of the Luciferian New World Order because of our uh, uh, freedom, because of our God-fearing population for the most part, uh, because of our, you know, guns. <laughs> there are a lot of things that make America unique, and they're slowly trying to take those away. And it's not any one thing. People ask me all the time, what do you think the next thing is going to be? I think it's a cumulative case. I mean, they're on the one front, they're uh, tar targeting guns. On the other front, you know, they're targeting gender. On another front, they're targeting the economy. Then you've got potential, you know, uh, uh, EMPs and other uh, electronic things. You've got a potential war. You know, you've got saber rattling with Russia and China and North Korea and Iran and all of that. So there's a lot of things that could happen. 
Uh, we don't know what will happen or if anything will happen. It sure seems like the stage is being set for that. That's the whole premise of Spirit of the Antichrist. The Bible tells us the Spirit of the Antichrist is already alive today. Well, if so, we ought to be able to see signs of it. But again, God's sovereignty is what ultimately will make uh, that decision. But he says, uh, so notice he wants to have the demise of the U.S. dollar. Uh, I mean, if you've been to the gas station lately, you, you certainly can understand where that's headed. Disrupt, disruption is coming. It will be both good and bad and major. Again, they're just telegraphing. Get ready is what he's saying. The fundamental issue of, our, of how our newfound ability to manipulate life, okay, this is their goal. They want to manipulate life, will impact our humanness. How, how is there, he says, this ability to manipulate life and how it will affect our humanness will challenge our beliefs, our morals, religions, and politics at their very core. And we are ill-prepared for that. And this is very interesting. Here he quotes uh, E.O. Wilson, Edward Osborne Wilson, who's an American biologist. Uh, I had not heard of him, but I looked him up. He's known as the Ant Man because he was like the world expert in ants. Um, but anyway, here he quotes approvingly something that Wilson said. As the natural steel Wilson said, quote, we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technologies. And then Schwab says, indeed. Well, what's he really saying there? Well, in other words, he says, our emotions are outdated. You need to stop this love affair with ridiculous things like freedom, independence, national sovereignty, gun ownership, you know. Our emotions are outdated. Our institutions, such as marriage, church, national sovereignty, are medieval. That's passe. That's the stuff of old times. But he says, yet our technologies are, are godlike. Essentially, what they think is that we're like we, the common people, and, and the world at large, is like a 13-year-old getting behind the controls of a jumbo jet. And we need the Luciferian pilots the initiated, to take the controls and show us how to fly. He goes on, nothing is more effective than the power of narratives. <laughs> I mean, they're just coming right out and telling you, we're going to lie to you to manipulate your thinking and get you to come along with what we want you to do. <laughs> um, that is to say, developing stories that are both pertinent and convincing to others. This is the best way to motivate those with whom we interact socially, politically, and economically and to move the agenda forward. It is a, it, a new golden age would require major institutional motivations, among them a supranational institution to regulate national, to regulate finance at the global level. There it is. So before we go any deeper, I, I wanted to set the stage there with Klaus Schwab and, and the Great Reset and let you know that it's a great satanic reset. And we're going to have more to say about Schwab in a moment. But before we go any deeper down this rabbit hole, I want to take a look at where this global one world system fits into God's plan of the ages. Now, I don't always do this depending on what uh, the venue is or what the event is. Uh, but obviously, this is a church. Most of us, I hope, are like-minded. I, I hope that most of you know the Lord. If you don't, then that's priority number one. Uh, if there's never been a time in your life when you trusted Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation, don't leave here today without doing that. Uh, that's what matters most is to get your spiritual house in order. Um, but beyond that, I think most, most of us in here need to understand how this fits into God's plan of the ages. And so I want to take a moment and talk about human government and God's plan of the ages. So 
Genesis 1 through 11 is key. If you don't understand Genesis 1 through 11, you can forget the rest of the Bible. It's when, you're, when you're wrong on Genesis 1 through 11, I don't have any use for you, to be honest with you. Because that, if you don't believe the first 11 chapters, why would you believe the rest of it, right? Uh, so I don't know about you, but I believe the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And in that, we see God's establishment as he created the world uh, of relationships. It starts with man-God, then husband-wife, then parent-child, and ultimately citizen-government. And we need to keep these priorities in order. And notice that fourth on this list is citizen government. So your first priority, everyone in this room, man, woman, and child, is to God. Should always be that way. Your second is if you're married, would be to your spouse. Then your third would be to your children. And then to the government. And throughout the ages, God established first globalism, and then we saw a shift into nationalism, and then a re we will see a return to globalism. So globalism is not the order of the day right now because we're living in this present church age, the last days, where nationalism is the order of the day. So we ought to resist it as long as we can, but someday it is going to shift first in the satanic realm to a return to globalism, but ultimately Christ will come back and make all things new, and we will see the Bible come full circle to a pre-fall Edenic state of a globalist world. So globalism is how it started. Uh, we see this in Genesis 1. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So it was a global environment. And so if you look at a timeline of human history, um, God created the earth roughly 6,000 years ago. This is based on uh, the traditional dating from James Usher. Uh, I believe in a young earth. I hope you do too. I realize that some of you may be shocked to learn, probably not in this crowd, uh, that the world is only 6,000 years old because some of you believe one of the greatest lies ever perpetrated by the Luciferians, and that is Darwinian evolution, that we all evolved from a wet rock millions of years ago, or billions of years ago. Uh, but the fact is, the Bible tells us, oh, God spoke the world into, exi into existence, ex nihilo, out of nothing, and he created the world roughly 6,000 years ago. And this is foundational. What happens in this great last days of deception is that people try to obscure the Bible. So you had atheistic evolution come along just in the last few hundred years that completely obliterates the Bible, has no use for the Bible, mocks the Bible. But then because of the influence of Darwinian evolution having crept into the church, many well-intentioned Christians and churches try to uh, take science and say, well, science rules the day, but we still believe in the Bible. So they created what's called theistic evolution which is mostly science with a little bit of Bible, right? But then some said, no, 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 it's, it's, there's more Bible than that, and they came up with a day-age theory, which is, well, we believe in a little bit more Bible, but still science is what rules the day. And then even uh, theories like the gap theory come along, which give more credence to the Bible, but still think science rules the day. But what we believe is that only God's Word is the standard for truth, not some atheistic eugenicist. Darwin was not a scientist, by the way, he was a eugenicist, and I get into that in detail in the book. Uh, but uh, using the Bible and well-documented historical events and a little bit of math, um, we find that the flood began approximately 4,369 years ago in the year 2348 BC. So thanks to the influence of Darwinian thought, uh, 
with a little help from the compulsory government schools and the Rockefellers and the Carnegies, but people tend to think that mankind has gotten better and better and better and that we started out dumb as a rock but eventually crawled out of the cave and figured out how to communicate. Not true. We started out brilliant in the image of God and Satan has been chipping away at mankind ever since the beginning. You might find it interesting, as you see on the screen there, that it only took mankind 1,500 years to become so evil uh, after the fall of man that man that God decided he would have to destroy uh, the earth and the global flood occurred as I said in 2348 BC so you had this evil presence of Genesis 6 of angels demons that is leaving their proper domain as the New Testament describes them and then God saying that's it we're going to destroy the earth and so that occurred in chapters 7 and 8 with the global flood so here we are again 4370 or so years since the beginning of the flood and things have gotten exponentially worse as Satan and his demons repeatedly try to take over the earth. So the flood ended and that's when we see for the first time in God's plan of the ages a shift to uh, from divine globalism to nationalism. So God we see in Genesis chapter 10 the table of nations and then it didn't take long again a mere hundred years after the flood the slippery slope into abject evil uh, reared its head again. And that's when the Tower of Babel was created. Now, I don't know much, how much you know about the past, the background of the Tower of Babel. We read about this in chapter 11, where the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there, and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. Again, this is about the year 2242 B.C. Um, so the Tower of Babel was a post-flood rebellion against God by Noah's descendants. Only a hundred years later, God judged them by dividing the single language into multiple language families. And as these groups spread out and became isolated, certain features like skin shade and eye shape became dominant in certain regions of the world. Uh, and, and that's where we get into nationalism. But why did these people want to build a tower? You ever thought about it? I mean, I remember hearing this story as a child in Sunday school, and it was, oh, well, they're just trying to reach up to God. Ah, that doesn't tell the whole story. To understand why they wanted to build a tower, we need to go back to chapter 10, and a warrior named Nimrod. Nimrod was a grandson of Ham, uh, son of Cush, Ham's son, and one of Noah's sons. The Hebrew name Nimrod means we shall rebel. We shall rebel. The biblical Nimrod is the first powerful king on earth, and the first cities in his kingdom under his domain were famous ones like Babylon and Nineveh and Kela in Assyria. Not exactly a, you know, a list of the top greatest cities, is it? Most evil cities. But Josephus tells us something very interesting about Nimrod. Josephus was a first century Jewish historian. And he said this, He, Nimrod, persuaded them to attribute their prosperity not to God, but to their own valor. In other words, human pride. Pride is at the root of all sin, wanting to be God or be like God. And little by little transformed the state of affairs into tyranny, holding that the only way to detach men from the fear of God was by making them continuously dependent upon His power. Nimrod was one of the earliest Luciferian elites that was trying to take over the world. 
He threatened to have his revenge on God if he wished to inundate the earth again, for he would build a tower higher than the water could reach and avenge the destruction of their forefathers. hundred years after the flood. See, they saw what God did, and they, but their heart was still desperately wicked, and they were still trying to take over the world. And so they said, this time we're going to build a tower. And if God tries to flood us again, we'll just climb up to the tower and wait for the floodwaters to recede. Uh, so, again, God said, not going to happen. Let's go down there and confuse their language. So he scattered them abroad over the face of the earth, and he called the name of this place Babel, because there the Lord confused their language. The Hebrew word Babel means confusion, and so we see the onset of nationalism. But as we return to God's plan for human government, we see that it's going to come full circle back to globalism. As time goes on, we see a return to first a satanic globalism, and then ultimately a divine globalism once again. So we see this all over the place in the Old and New Testament alike. For example, Daniel's, Daniel's prophecy, the fourth beast uh, shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth which shall be different from all the other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Talking about the Antichrist here. Uh, again, the Antichrist, is, he gets his power from Satan, the dragon. Uh, his power, his throne, and his great authority. Uh, the great dragon was cast out, that servant of old called the devil, who deceives the whole world. Right? That's who Satan is. Ultimately, he's going to be in prison. During the, I talked about this this morning at our church in our Bible study hour. He's going to be in prison for a thousand years, Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, uh, so that he would deceive the nations no more. King David talks about this ultimate Luciferian conspiracy in Psalm chapter 2. He says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? What does it mean when people work together to plot something? That's called a conspiracy, right? Uh, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, against God and his eternal son Christ, the Messiah. And what are they saying as they conspire together? Let us break their, notice the capital T, they're referring to the triune God, bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So once again, we see a return to globalism, but it's going to come full circle to divine globalism, as David goes on to tell us, because when God hears their plot, he, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. He's going to hold them in derision. He's going to speak to them in his wrath and distress. And he says, I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. In other words, it's as good as done. Christ, he hasn't taken the throne yet. He's at the throne at the right hand of God, the throne in waiting but not the ultimate earthly throne, but he's coming again. So, uh, you know, this is one of only two psalms that, that is attributed to Solomon, David's son. He said, blessed be his glorious name forever and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. So there it is. Uh, once again, a return to globalism. And, you know, the prophet Isaiah talked about how when Christ comes back, the whole, the government will be upon his shoulder. And he says, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. So that certainly doesn't describe what's happening now. Anybody that believes in kingdom now theology is reading a different Bible. Nothing about the kingdom is in place today. This is Satan's domain. He's the prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, right? The prince of demons. I mean, God's still in control and the church is still the bride of Christ. And we have a job to do and we're supposed to be out spreading the gospel. And the spirit of God is alive and well. We see pockets of revival happening all over the world. It's not all doom and gloom. 
But let's not mistake what's happening today for the promised kingdom. When you read the descriptions of the kingdom in, in Scripture, they're nothing like what we're seeing today. Someday, Daniel tells us, God's going to set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and it shall stand forever, because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So, uh, if you look at my end times chart, uh, basically, we're living in the church age, which you can see there on the far left. Uh, you see Calvary, and then you see the church age. Obviously, this is not drawn to, to scale. But everything after the rapture, until the new heavens and the new earth, is a return to globalism. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that the return to globalism must await the rapture to start. Nothing in Scripture says that the Antichrist institutes a globalist system. He takes the helm of a globalist system. So if the Lord tarries his coming, we, we may, if, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, we may find ourselves inching ever closer to a globalist world. That certainly wouldn't be contrary to Scripture. A lot of people think the, anti, the, the globalism won't happen until the Antichrist comes into play. Not true. He's going to take the helm of it, but it could already be in place. Uh, and frankly, the more I look at the signs of the times around us, the more I am inclined to think that could be the case. So I believe we're standing on the precipice of the Luciferian endgame. As I said, ultimately, God's sovereignty is what matters, and the Luciferian plot is no match for the Lord's plan. But it behooves us, and it's an obedience to Scripture to be prepared to look at what's coming. When you see a train coming down the track, you get off the track. Right? And to do otherwise is just naive, because we have a job to do. Uh, we are uh, the, the bride of Christ. We're the beloved church, and God wants us to fight and to share Christ with everyone we can and to, to fight as long as we can. Uh, so you can't just say, well, whatever will be, will be, and if this is you know, the end of the times, that's fine. I'm not going to study this stuff. Well, you're not obeying Scripture when you do that. Uh, we, we, we need to understand uh, how God's uh, uh, pathway is working in the midst of this. Hey, my tech guys, I forgot to plug my computer in, and I'm about to lose power, so I'm going to... Very unprofessional, but very necessary. We were dealing with all kinds of distractions. The devil likes to distract as we got started, and I just forgot to plug it in. That's totally my fault. Wish I could blame it on somebody else. Oh, my kids aren't even here. They're my usual <laughs> victims. I, I found it. Sorry about that, guy. You guys are awesome. Yeah, uh, let's make sure. Yes, sir. All right, thanks. Sorry about that. My, see, my knee-jerk reaction whenever there's a technical problem is to cry out for the technical team. All I really need to do is grab my plug and plug it in. But uh, anyway, we're good now. So the question then for the remainder of our time is, is the stage being set for this one-world system? So the premise of the book, Spirit of the Antichrist, comes from 1 John. In chapter 2, he says, it is the last hour. Again, last days, last hour refers to the present age. So this was written in the late, uh, early 90s AD, uh, so late first century. And it was already the last hour, right? See, you know, nobody knew at that time how long the church age was going to be. There was a sense of urgency for the first two or three hundred years. It wasn't until you get to, uh, uh, to Augustine's book, City of God, that they began to sort of reinterpret everything and think it was all one giant metaphor and the kingdom is, is now. And then, of course, the medieval period, you had the Roman Catholic Church saying they're the kingdom and the pope is the king. Um, but, of course, we know better now because we have the benefit of 2,000 years of history. But the point is... The Antichrist, capital A, is coming, but even now many Antichrists have come. Again, things are growing worse and worse. But notice in chapter 4 of 1 John, he goes on to say, 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and is now already in the world. So essentially what I, what I said to myself is if the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world, and we know the Bibli- what the Bible tells us about the characteristics and actions of the Antichrist in the future, we have a lot of data about that from Daniel, from Revelation 13, from Paul's uh, teaching, say, in 2 Thessalonians, Thessalonians 2 and other places. So if we know what the Antichrist is going to do, what he's going to say, what he's going to act like, and that spirit is already here, we ought to be seeing some manifestations of it. And my speculation was, the closer we get to that time period, again, we can't set a date. The rapture is imminent. We don't know when it's going to be. It could happen today. It might not happen for another 10 years. But it could happen at any moment. That's what imminency means. We have a DVD on the imminency of the rapture, proving that doctrine biblically. So we can't set a date, but what we can do is do what Jesus said to do, which is look to the signs of the times. Because if we're getting closer to the Antichrist and the tribulation, the rapture happens before that, we must be getting closer to the rapture. So I set out to make a list of characteristics of the Antichrist, capital A, and then I sort of categorized those into seven groups. And uh, then I said, let's see if we see an uptick in any of these categories. And the whole first volume of the book is about the spirit of pretense or the spirit of deception, which really lays the foundation for the other six. And I, at the end of the book, I get into what's coming in, in volume two, which I'm working on right now. But Paul says this basically the same thing, a slightly different way. You know, John the Apostle said the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. Paul said the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He's talking here in 2 Thess 2 about uh, the Antichrist. So if the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work, we ought to see an uptick in, in his plans, Satan's plans through the Antichrist to take over the world. So this is what we call the Luciferian conspiracy. Satan conspiring with demons, conspiring with human agents to try to take over the world. Now we understand the demonic element, the unseen element. Um, The Bible is very clear that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. But let's never forget the human aspect to this conspiracy as well. David talked about it a thousand years before Christ in Psalm 2 when he talked about the national rulers conspiring together to take over the world. Uh, conspiracies are an interesting thing. It's, it's funny how the Luciferians themselves have co-opted certain words. When they can't win on facts and, 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 and truth, then they win on spin. And, uh, you know, we, you hear people talk about conspiracy theories. Well, a conspiracy, as I alluded to earlier, is just an argument between two or more people to commit a crime or perform a wrongful or sinister act. It's a plot. Pretty simple. In fact, about 75% of all federal criminal prosecutions in the United States have the term conspiracy in the title. So this is not something that should be strange. And if conspiracies don't exist, as you know, some people try to suggest, if conspiracies are just the far-fetched machinations of the mentally ill, like the government tries to tell us, then there's got to be a ton of mentally ill lawyers out there, I guess. I don't know. Um, which, come to think of it... Um, I'll spare you my lawyer jokes for the sake of time. But most people are not aware of where the term conspiracy theory came from. This term, conspiracy theory, was coined, created by the CIA. In, a, in, in 1967, the CIA wrote a dispatch which coined the term conspiracy theory and recommended methods for discrediting any theory that contradicted the official government version of events. This document was, typed, was stamped psych 
short for psychological operations or disinformation, and also CS, short for clandestine services unit. It was exposed in response to a Freedom of Information Act request in 1976. And according to the document, originally conspiracy theory was a weaponized phrase that was intended to discredit anyone who questioned the Warren Commission report about the assassination of JFK. But over time, it became a term to discredit anyone who questions the official government narrative about anything. It's, it's discussed often in academic circles and journals and textbooks. The technical term in academia for this is psycholinguistic tool for mimetic hegemony. Now there's a mouthful. <laughs> Let's break that down. Psycholinguistic, meaning using words as a tool for mimetic, uh, meaning you know, he, you know, control or dominance, he, uh, hegemony, or, or controlling the mind through dominance and control. So this same psycholinguistic technique is being used today with things like so-called fake news. Anytime someone you know puts out something that's truthful but exposes the Luciferian lies then the you know, big tech, big pharma, all these other cor corporations that are under the thumb of the Luciferians come along and stamp it fake news. We quit using uh, YouTube about two months into the pandemic because we had uh, nine or ten videos banned. And we kept getting slapped on the wrist and put on hold and couldn't use YouTube for two or three weeks. And we'd try again, and sure enough, they'd ban us again. I mean, all I was doing was quoting you know, disreputable organizations like the American Medical Association, Dr. Fauci, and you know, uh, Journal of um, uh, American Medical Association. I think I said that. Anyway, all these uh, New England Med Journal of Medicine. I'm just citing journal articles, you know, but apparently that's fake news. And uh, so we quit using YouTube, by the way, all of our material, podcasts and videos, are available through notbyworks.org. So we're on other channels out there, but everything is funneled through notbyworks.org. That's the easiest way to find our stuff. So a name you should know when it comes to conspiracy theories is Cass Sunstein. He is, uh, was the, in the Obama administration, administrator of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. And uh, he's known for his research into linguistic thought control and subliminal indoctrination as a means of behavior modification. He promoted what is often called the nudge theory of behavior, where you put something out there and then you, know, then you, you use bots to kind of make it more prevalent. All of a sudden, people hear it and it kind of catches on. He's married, by the way, to Samantha Power, or at least was at the time I researched this, uh, who uh, is uh, Samantha Power was a former United States ambassador to the UN. But this is a quote from his 2008 article in the Journal of Political Philosophy in an article entitled Conspiracy Theories, Causes and Cures. Remember where conspiracy theory came from, the CIA. What can government do about conspiracy theories? Well, we can readily imagine a series of possible responses. Number one, government might ban conspiracy theorizing. And number two, government might impose some kind of tax, financial or otherwise, on those who disseminate such theories. When did I say this was published? 2008. And yet we see that happening today. That's what censorship is all about. He also recommended and implemented a program of what he termed cognitive infiltration, uh, in which paid government agents would infiltrate truth movements undercover and spread misinformation to discredit them. And that's happening all the time. And if you want to learn more about this subject, I recommend uh, a book by uh, David Ray Griffin, uh, kind of exposing some of Cass Sunstein's work, but this is Cass Sunstein's book, Conspiracy Things. So the Bible has a lot to say about conspiracies, both in the Old and New Testaments. Conspiracies are nothing new, and the greatest conspiracy of all time is the Luciferian conspiracy. 
Satan, demons, and human agents conspiring together to take over the world. So what are some of these manifestations of the spirit of the Antichrist? Are we seeing some things today that might indicate Satan is ramp ramping up his agenda? Uh, well, the biggest one, as I mentioned, that we talk about in the book is the spirit of pretense or the spirit of deception. Pretense, if you look it up, just means a claim not supported by fact or false show of something, a false or hypocritical profession. Basically, it's deception. That's what pretense really is. And the number one characteristic of the future Antichrist will be deception. Notice Paul says of this future Antichrist that he will, his, he will be working according to the power of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. In all unrighteous deception he will operate. He deceives those who dwell on the earth, the book of Revelation tells us. And Manly P. Hall, a leading uh, Luciferian, uh, and uh, he's the one that's famous for his books, The Secret Teaching of All Ages, an encyclopedic outline of Masonic, Hermetic, Kabbalistic, and Rosicrucian symbolic philosophy, widely regarded as basically one of the leaders in the Luciferian literature. And he reminds us there are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes, dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. And that's the reason why the cover of my first book on this subject, The Great Last Day's Deception, which came out in 2012, I chose or have an art, had an artist come up with a marionette over key global centers of the U.S., I mean of the world. So when you think about deception, one of the key tools in, in, in deceiving people has been media, especially in America. People are shocked to find out that the media has been controlled since the early parts of the 20th century. So I, I, don't, I get into the false left-right paradigm in the book. I don't, had not planned to talk about it here, but if you're sitting here today and you're of the opinion that Fox News is conservative and CNN is liberal, you are believing a lie. You're just believing a lie. And as long as you keep listening to Fox News, you're going to be playing right into the hands of the Luciferians. Uh, but don't just take that statement as a fact. Do your own research, and I give you some resources in the book to, to talk about that. But it's controlled opposition. It's two sides of the same street, but it's a one-way street. And uh, it's, again, it's the Hegelian dialectic. So I'm going to play a short clip here. This is about two and a half minutes. Uh, this is, I got from a, uh, as a clip from Out of Shadows, a longer documentary, but it explains what Operation Mockingbird is. started out paying journalists in major media, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists, to print fake stories uh, that the CIA wanted in the press and fake interviews. And this was revealed in the church committee. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA who are contributing to a major circulation of American journalism? We do have people who submit and of course then the CIA destroyed the rest of the files, which is what they do. George H.W. Bush came out and finally made a statement about Mockingbird. Well, we're going to officially stop the Mockingbird program. The CIA will no longer pay journalists to write stories. From now on, the program is voluntary, which means Mockingbird continues today. 
When's the last time you've seen a mainstream media outlet do a serious investigative report on the actions of the CIA? There's a reason for that. This would mean that the CIA could manipulate the news in the United States by channeling it through some foreign country. And we're looking at that very carefully. And you say? Well, I, yeah, I would think probably for a reporter who would continue today, but because of all of the revelations of the period of the 1970s, uh, it seems to me that a reporter's got to be much more circumspect in doing it now, or he runs the risk of uh, at least being looked at for considerable disfavor by the public. I think you've got to be much more careful about it. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 There is something about the way the CIA has been functioning that is casting a shadow on our historic position of freedom, and I feel we need to correct it. So this next clip is uh, uh, Walter Cronkite at a World Federist uh, or Federation Global Governance Award where he's receiving uh, the award. And listen to what, uh, he's basically referring to evangelical conservatives. I'm not a big fan of the term evangelical anymore, but essentially you and I is who he's talking about, who think that only Christ can preside over a one-world government, and he sort of mocks them. Let's listen. Their leader, Pat Robertson, has written in a book a few years ago that we should have a world government, but only when the Messiah arrives. He wrote, any attempt to achieve world order before that time must be the work of the devil. Now join me. I'm glad to sit here at the right hand of Satan. I'm proud to sit here at the right hand of Satan. And a little bit later in that same a little bit later in that same uh, ceremony, they pipe in First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton and uh, listen to what she says. wasn't the news until Walter Cronkite told us it was the news. We're finding out more and more about how much of history as we were told really isn't true. Most of it was fabricated in a production room. Uh, William Casey, this was the quote I think that you saw at, uh, on that clip that I showed a moment ago. He said, we'll know our disinformation campaign is complete when everything the American public believes is a lie. He was the CIA director for almost the entire eight years that Reagan was uh, the president. Several quotes now. Uh, Richard uh, Salant, former president of CBS News, says, our job is to give people not what they want, but what they decide, but what we decide they ought to have. 
See, the media is a key agent of deception. And it's all around us. It's in the air we breathe. It's weapons of mass uh, deception. My first full-time church after Wendy and I were married was in a rural Midwest farming community, and I learned a lot as a young 20-something-year-old about farming. I used to enjoy spending time with the old-timers and kind of listen to them talk, and I would even ride in their combines and stuff with them. And they loved to talk about how things had changed through the years, the evolution of farm equipment. For example, I learned that in the old days, this is what a manure spreader looked like. It was horse-drawn. And then, of course, in the industrial age, it got a little fancier. Uh, but today, this is what a manure spreader looks like. <laughs> so always remember, the mainstream media is harmful if swallowed. Uh, Gary Allen said, we believe the picture painters of the mass media are artfully creating landscapes for us which deliberately hide the real picture. David Rockefeller came right out and said it at an address before the Trilateral Commission. He said, we're grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity during those years. Maybe that's why Thomas Jefferson once said, people who don't read the newspapers know more than those who do. See, my, my struggle as I speak and travel and write about this for the last, uh, well, since 2007 is when I really woke up to the world as it really exists, is, is typically the people that are so-called conservatives and they're reading the mainstream conservative pundits or listening to the mainstream conservative anchors, they're the hardest ones to convince. But the people that are actually doing their own research and looking at the facts of the matter, uh, they get it when you kind of spell it out, uh, lay it out there uh, for them. Um, Mark Twain famously said, how easy it is to make people believe a lie and how hard it is to undo that work again. This is often paraphrased as it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci uh, said this, there are three classes of people, those who see, those who see when they're shown, and those who do not see. Uh, Which one are you? That's the question. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, history as we know it is really uh, not uh, the truth. We've been deceived in so many ways. And if you read their own writings, you find out that a lot of them are echoing this sentiment, kind of telling it in plain sight. Tolstoy, for example, said, history would be a wonderful thing if it were only true. (laughs) Napoleon said, what is history but a fable agreed upon? Churchill, after World War II, said, history will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. Uh, Mark Twain said, the very ink with which history is written is merely fluid prejudice. So Eric Arthur Blair, better known as George Orwell, said, who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. One of my favorite radio hosts, George Knapp, said, nothing ever changes except the past. That's why George Santayana said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So the human agents in this Luciferian conspiracy make use of the spirit of pretense to advance their agenda. And we would do well to kind of heed it and pay attention. So um, I like to diagram out the Luciferian conspiracy. I won't take a lot of time on this because I want to allow some time for questions uh, at the end. But uh, I go into this in, in I think it's either chapter two or three of, of the book in great detail. But obviously, the Luciferian elite are at the helm. Uh, this may be distasteful to think about or recognize, but it's, it's as 
clear as day. And by the way, it's also as clear as day in Scripture. But this is, constitutes about six or eight families who literally talk to Satan every day. They pray to Satan like you and I pray to the Lord God Almighty. They take their marching orders from him. They sacrifice children to him and drink their blood. This is the Luciferian elite in dark, smoke-filled rooms of the world. But it's a very small group, and uh, they're not the face of this conspiracy. Okay? The face of the conspiracy begins to appear at the second level. Uh, and this involves groups like the IMF, the central bank system, the Federal Reserve. I'm sure in this group I don't have to remind you that the Federal Reserve is not uh, federal. It's a privately owned central bank. That's the reason every time you get out a, a dollar bill from your wallet, or any bill, it's, usually it's a dollar for me, uh, it, says, uh, it says right on there, Federal Reserve Note, right at the top. Because this is a debt instrument. This isn't money. This is a debt instrument. And every time the Federal Reserve, the privately owned Federal Reserve, uh, too many ones in there, I can't fit it back in, uh, prints money, the U.S. government pays interest to it. So they're happy to do QE2 and QE3 and QE4 and QE infinitive, qualitative easing. Keep printing. Just pay us money. That's why the debt gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Uh, but you've also got all kinds of foundations, like the Gates Foundation, and you've got Big Pharma, Big Agra, uh, Rockefeller Foundation, Carnegie Foundation, all of those. Uh, but then you've also got secret societies. Uh, and uh, secret societies I get into as in, in, a, in a special one of the eight videos in my What in the World is Going On uh, series. Uh, but at this level, you're probably dealing with hundreds of thousands of people. Some of them recognize that they're part of a Luciferian conspiracy. Some of them don't. They just have their own agendas. They may be evil, uh, but for their own, either to, get, to make money, to get rich, for some kind of sexual issues or deviance or whatever. Uh, but some of them certainly are aware who's giving the marching orders, but not all of them. And then by the time you get to the lowest level, uh, you know, th this is, you know, m millions of people, more than a million easily. Uh, this is very much on a need-to-know basis, and absolutely not everybody in each of these groups or organizations or institutions is in the know. Some of them are God-fearing Christian people just like you and me. A lot of great people work at the CIA, for example. You know, people will come up to me sometimes when I talk about some of the things the CIA has done, uh, especially in the depopulation eugenics realm, uh, and they'll say, well, you know, my aunt works as a secretary at the CIA, and she never told me any of this. And I'm thinking, okay, well, probably she didn't know about it. You know, there's thousands upon thousands of people that work at the CIA. Not all of them recognize what the Luciferian conspiracy is all about. Uh, same thing with several of those uh, other groups. Uh, Saul Alinsky, uh, who is no longer with us, he died in 1972, but uh, President Barack Obama was influenced heavily by Alinsky and followed his footsteps in the Chicago-based uh, community organizing world. And uh, many experts think that uh, the success of Barack Obama's 2008 presidential campaign was due to the tactics that he learned from Alinsky's teaching. Well, in his famous book, Rules for Radicals, he actually dedicated it to Lucifer. He said, lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical. From all our legends, mythology, and history, and then he adds, and who's to know where mythology leaves off and history begins? See that little wink and a nod there at history? You know, what's really myth and what's really history? Yeah, who really knows? Because, you know, we're changing it all the time. Uh, he said, let's give a, a nod to the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. This is the same Saul Alinsky who, uh, in a 1970 
two interviews shortly before his death for Playboy magazine, said he couldn't wait to get to hell because they're my kind of people. So uh, I'm just going to kind of skip ahead a bit here because I've got so many quotes and I don't want to use up all of our time on quotes. But let's talk, let's, let's talk for a moment about the phrase the New World Order. From the earliest days of our country, Luciferians, Freemasons, and later the Illuminati have been seeking a new beachhead for their satanic agenda to take over the world. Remember, this goes back 6,000 years to the Garden. And it's no accident that the discovery of America was called the New World uh, the New World Order, note the word, or, the word order in that phrase, means power, control, authority. And they really thought that they could come over here. Not the, not the Puritans and the Pilgrims and, you know, the early crowd, but the later, you know, ones uh, that, that established, you know, before the Revolutionary War. They thought, many of them, not all of them, but many of them, that they would uh, be able to have a new beachhead, kind of open season on land and everything to kind of really create the world. And they really thought this would be the center of the one world system uh, someday. Uh, I get into the, whose fingerprints are on the founding of America in a message I did for the Tulsa conference just a couple of months ago, or maybe a month ago now. So if you go to our website and look under videos and just scroll down in time, you'll see it. It's called Whose Fingerprints Are on the Founding of America. And it might surprise you uh, what some of our founding fathers said. But most of us are familiar with the phrase New World Order. Uh, certainly George H.W. Bush uh, talked about the long-held promise of a New World Order. Nixon said each of us has the hope to build a New World Order. That was speaking uh, from China in February of 1972. Gorbachev said we're moving toward a New World Order, which he thought would be the world of communism. By the way, the one world religion is not going to be communism. It's not going to be Islam. It's going to be pluralism. They're, all of these religions are going to come together under one leader, and, they're going to, and that's going to be the Antichrist, and they're going to worship him eventually. He's going to set himself up as God, declare himself to be God, Paul tells us, and take the throne at the midpoint of the tribulation. Kissinger said, The New World Order cannot happen without U.S. participation, as we are the single most significant component. It's been that way since our founding. Yes, there will be a New World Order, and it will be the force, and it will force the United States to change its perceptions. By the way, I feel like I need to add, because I don't want to sound unpatriotic, one of the things the Luciferians underestimated was the power of freedom and the power of the Spirit of God within believers. And so even though there were definitely competing agendas at that start, there were some people that wanted religious freedom and God-fearing Christians, and there were a lot of other Luciferians that were wanting a beachhead for the New World Order, you know, what won out for couple hundred years anyway, was the Spirit of God and the freedom-loving Americans and Bible-believing Christians. And that's why it kind of has gotten out of control for them. And America is now standing in their way for the most part. But in the last hundred years, they've done an incredibly powerful and thorough job of dismantling everything America stands for. And it all was by design. Um, when you read the book, I, I go into the history of it, but around the turn of the 20th century, with the Carnegies and the Rockefellers and the implementation of compulsory government schooling and the taking over of the medical industry, uh, where instead of holistic health, it became about cutting and slicing and you know poisoning with medicines. Uh, they've gradually just seen you know the downfall from within of our of our country. So now it's gotten today to where you know you've got Supreme Court justices who can't even define what it means to be a woman, <laughs> you know. Um, so, uh, again, back to these quotes. Here's another Kissinger quote talking about Obama. See, when they put Obama in, who was the quintessential Manchurian candidate, they really thought 
that that was going to be their opportunity, right? Uh, or certainly they could move it a long way, and they did. Uh, but, you know, again, it's not monolithic. Obama did some things with the new guard elite that, that upset the old Luciferian guard, and he wasn't always a team player, even though they programmed him to be that way. Uh, but uh, Kissinger said of Obama, his task will be to develop an overall strategy for America during this period when really a new world order can be created. Strobe Talbot, president of the Brookings Institution, another globalist think tank on, uh, uh, located on Think Tank Row in Washington, D.C., in the next century, nations as we know it will be obsolete. All states will recognize a single global authority. National sovereignty, he said, wasn't really a great idea. <laughs> Uh, Richard Gardner, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State uh, for Presidents Kennedy and Johnson, also a member of the Trilateral Commission, he said, in short, uh, this is from his book called, the, uh, actually it's an article in Foreign Affairs Magazine called, called The Hard Road to World Order. In short, the House of World Order will have to be built from the bottom up rather than the top down. It will look like a great booming, buzzing confusion, but an end run around national sovereignty eroding it piece by piece will accomplish more than an old-fashioned frontal assault. I believe this is what's happening today. Confusing, you know. Think back to the beginning of the pandemic. We didn't know what was going on. Even guys that study this stuff, like myself, I, first week or so, I'm thinking, is this a, a kill shot? Is this really something that they're going to use to depopulate and get, you know, 90% of the world's population gone like they've been telling us they're going to do? You know, it became clear quite quickly that it wasn't about the virus, it was about the vaccine. But still, it's confusing. And still people are confused about uh, all of this. H.U.L. said countless people will hate the New World Order. He wrote a book called The New World Order. People are going to hate it, but, and they're going to die protesting it. Um, and then we could go on and on. I've got several other uh, quotes here from world leaders. But I, I want to take just a few minutes before I open the floor to questions uh, to talk about uh, some of these, you know, up-and-coming, uh, you know, uh, the, the trend toward globalism. So again, here we are teetering, I think, on the brink of destroying nationalism and shifting into globalism. And again, I want to be clear, we should fight for nationalism because that's God's divine design for this present age. Even though we know ultimately Christ is going to come back and take the throne, until then, National sovereignty is God's divine design. Satan's going to take over that and usher in a satanic global uh, system. So I want to talk how, about the Council on Foreign Relations and how they relate to this and have helped lead us to this teetering edge. John Foster Dulles was one of, one of the co-founders of the CFR, and he said the United Nations represents not a final stage in the development of a world order, but only a primitive stage. Therefore, its primary task is to create the conditions which will make possible a more highly developed organization. He said in his book, War or Peace, I have never seen any proposal made for collective security with teeth in it or for world government or for world federation which could not be carried out either by the United Nations or under the United Nations Charter. So you're seeing how the UN and its partnership with the World Economic Forum is a key part of things uh, these days. Key players also include Alger Hiss and Joseph Stalin in creating uh, the UN. Now this is uh, uh, an interesting, this is, goes back to before the pandemic, but when Pope Francis became Pope in 2013, his first address to the UN General Assembly was in 2015. And I want you to listen to how Fox News covered this. This is a 20-second clip. Just listen to this. This is covering, again, Pope Francis's first address 
to the UN in 2015, which is marking the, let's see, 20, 45, 55, 60th, or no, 70th, excuse me, anniversary of the founding of the UN. So the Pope is giving the marching orders to the UN. I didn't say it. Fox News said it. It must be true, right? Uh, and notice he's going to set the agenda. What did he say for the next how many years? 15 years. When was this? 2015. Do the math. What year does that bring us to? 2030. See, this is all part of uh, the plan. Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, uh, here's an interesting uh, picture. Here is uh, Richard Haas, who is the uh, president of the Council on Foreign Relations and has been for 20 years. Um, and here he is with uh, Biden. Uh, here's a 17-second clip where, I mean, you, gotta, you can't give a presentation like this without at least one Biden clip, right? Um, <laughs> listen to what Biden says. The subject of today is uh, another article on the, uh, in the magazine. Uh, I should introduce myself. To uh, my name is Richard Haas, by the way. Uh, I work here at the Council on Foreign Relations. And I work for Richard. And I work for Richard, ha, ha, ha. He does work for Richard. That was not, that was a Freudian slip. Uh, here's Secretary of State Hillary Clinton admitting the CFR tells her what to do. Thank you very much, uh, Richard, and I am delighted to be here in these new headquarters. Um, I have been often to, uh, I guess, the mothership in New York City, uh, but it's good to have an outpost of the council right here down the street from the State Department. Uh, we get a lot of advice from the council, so this will mean I won't have this hard to go to uh, be told uh, what we should be doing and uh, how uh, we should uh, think about the future. To be told what we should be doing and how we should think about the future. Well, well let me check in with the CFR. Uh, and then I want to be an equal opportunity offender, step on everybody's toes here. So here's a Dick Cheney quote acknowledging that his Wyoming supporters are probably not too happy about his association with the CFR. Good to be back at the Council on Foreign Relations. As uh, Pete mentioned, I've been a member for a long time and was actually a director for some period of time. I never mentioned that when I was campaigning for re-election back home in Wyoming. So here's uh, some notable CFR members. Uh, again, it's the, the two-party system is a fake out. There's no difference. Um, so a lot of these guys, like, uh, for example, uh, Cheney and... Um, What's the well Powell too before him, but uh, Cheney and the guy that was his worked with him under Nixon. Anyway, they worked in both you know Nixon, Carter, Reagan. They went back and forth on same thing was Big New Brzezinski and Zelikow and all these guys. They worked both sides of the aisle. Uh, here's Bush. Here's uh, uh, Obama. Uh, Donald Trump uh, was campaigned as an outsider, and uh, you know said. Uh, you know, he's going to drain the swamp. Well, he drained uh, the swamp right into his cabinet, basically. Sixty-seven people in the uh, Trump administration were CFR members. 
67, um, including, by the way, uh, Mark Esper and uh, others. So I want to, in the remaining time, I'm going to just skip ahead here and talk. I want to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court decision, which I said uh, uh, that I would mention, and that relates to this issue of transhumanism. Transhumanism is really the sort of overarching goal, if you will, of the Luciferians as they seek to change um, the world and change humanity within the world. Uh, transhumanism, simply put, is the merging of man and machine, basically recreating humanity, uh, uh, redefining humanity. The word trans is a prefix that has come to mean whatever you want it to mean. In other words, you can put trans in front of something and it completely allows you to say just the opposite of what it really is. So transgender means you can be whatever gender you want, transracial, uh, you know, there was a British man who spent over 150,000 euros to become trans-Korean. <laughs> um, you see transgenders, uh, you know, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, you see homecoming queens, I guess you call it that, I don't really know. I was in Target recently and they have a whole section celebrating Pride Month and I saw this uh, format or welcome mat. And you know, anyone who doesn't think depravity is a degenerative disease is living in non-reality. Because as recently as 70 years ago or so, a welcome mat like this would have indicated that the place you're about to enter is full of happiness and joy. You want to be happy? Come on in. Smile. This is a fun place. Relax. Find joy. That's not what they meant by this uh, welcome mat. Notice how uh, they, can, they can turn anything around by adding the word transhumanism. So you take the trans off, and then you'll be left with what it is they're trying to redefine. So their target is humanity. They want to utterly change uh, humanity. So it it's kind of, can be kind of helpful, actually, if we play their game. You know, if you want to declare yourself to be any nationality, any gender, anything you want, just add a prefix trans. In fact, I've taken to calling myself trans-vaccinated, you know? <laughs> Why not, right? I mean, if, if they can do it, or how about this? In theory, in theory, someone who has never won a presidential election could be the trans president of the United States. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, right? But this attack, in all seriousness, represents a full-on assault to God's highest pinnacle of creation, the image of God in man. And so I want to take a moment, and then I'll open the floor to questions, to address uh, Friday's SCOTUS decision on Roe v. Wade. Um, obviously, Roe v. Wade was overturned, and when major events like this happen, we've got to look, we've got to learn to look beyond the two-dimensional aspect of it. I mean, on its face, of course, of course, anytime something happens that makes it harder to kill innocent unborn babies, that's a good thing. Of course, of course it is. But is that all that's going on here? Or is there more to the story? When you look beyond the surface level, like a, a chess player looking at a multidimensional image of the game in his mind several moves ahead, we see a few things worth noting. And this is especially true when you uh, take into consideration the Luciferian conspiracy and the way Satan and his earthly counterparts have been rolling out the great satanic reset. So here are just a few observations of mine, and I encourage you to think through this yourself. Don't just take my word for it. First thing we need to understand is that the Supreme Court decision does not do away with abortion nationwide. Far from it, actually. It only means that each state now can make its own 
decision. And what this is going to do is create sanctuary states for the murdering of unborn children. Essentially, we're going to see abortion tourism. Globalist companies will begin not only encouraging the murder of, uh, murder of the unborn, but incentivizing it and aiding and abetting their employees to do so, like, do so, like Dick's Sporting Goods. Someone sent me this memo, the internal memo that was sent around to company-wide, to employees. And essentially what they're saying here is, if you'd like to kill your baby, we're going to give you $4,000 in paid medical leave to help you accomplish the murder. $4,000. That was from Friday. Supposedly other companies are doing similar things like Levi's, Amazon, Starbucks. Second thing I want to point out is that this is going to create more division in an already very divided nation. Again, at the face value, it's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. Praise God. But you need to understand nothing happens by accident. Okay? And as I'm going to say in a moment, the Supreme Court is completely controlled and has been for many years. So you have to ask yourself, why now, right? Well, it's multifaceted. There's a lot of things going on. It's not monolithic where they're just push one button and one thing happens. They're trying to accomplish a lot of things with this. But certainly, in an already very divided nation, this is going to solidify the divide between conservative states and liberal states. On the most important issue, I think, in the world, the sanctity of life, it's going to kind of put down the lines of demarcation. Now we, of course, if you live in Colorado, live in a state that's uh, going to continue murdering the unborn. But uh, this, I believe, is going to play right into the, the, the fomenting of unrest and the eventual civil war that they're trying to create. You've got to keep that in mind. It doesn't mean it shouldn't have happened, or it doesn't mean we're, we wish it didn't happen, by no means. But it, you need to look beyond what's, what's really happening. Thirdly, I think it's going to increase the support for Trump to run again in 2024, which again is going to create more division. I mean, I, I hope I don't offend anybody by this, but I'm sure I will. But the thought that there are still people out there believing the lies about Q and Trump and taking down the deep state and arresting Hillary and overthrowing the establishment and putting some secret government in place that's currently operating behind the scenes right now that Trump is still in charge of and he's waiting for the right time to call in the alternate military. I mean, it's all... It's astounding to me that people would still believe that. I got a lengthy email from someone just a couple weeks ago outlining why I should believe in Q, and I, I just have to say, let it go. I mean, it is a psyop to the nth degree. We know that. Um, you know, let it go. I mean, the way some conservative Christians are worshiping Trump today is akin to the way many people hailed Obama as the Messiah in 2008. The hypocrisy is staggering. And I think, uh, I don't know what Trump's going to do. I really don't. Uh, but there's a lot of talk and chatter out there about him running again in 2024. And this, I think, is going to give him more uh, impetus to do that. Fourthly, I think it's strange that, some, that the same conservative justices who have supported extremely liberal issues in the past, such as uh, the decision not to hear evidence in the greatest election fraud in the U.S. history, which, make no mistake, the 2020 election was absolutely rigged. But I've been talking about that for 15 years because the 2016 election was rigged, the 2012 election was rigged, the 2008 election was rigged, the 2004 election was rigged, and the 2000 election most assuredly was rigged. They're all rigged, all right? The minute they went to digital voting machines, and I was talking about Dominion 15 years ago, it was game over. There's absolutely no way to, to, to hold on to the sanctity of the vote. 
an 18-year-old kid in a cubicle in Cleveland with a couple of keystrokes and a $10,000 cash gift can change the outcome of the entire election in Michigan. <laughs> so it's all rigged. But 2020 was the most late. I mean, it was obvious. Everybody should have seen that. And yet these same justices said nothing to see here move along. They supported LGBTQ issues. They supported gay marriage. And now they're being hailed as heroes. And no one's pointing out the inconsistency, the hypocrisy of the court. And this just shows how controlled they are. Let me give you a few examples. Anthony Kennedy was appointed by Reagan, and yet on June 26, 2015, he cast the deciding vote that gay marriage is a constitutional right, meaning that all 50 states must allow it and that all existing bans are invalid. And the decision ended a decades-long battle over whether gay marriage should be legalized. John Roberts, appointed by George W. in the summer of 2020, uh, supported the vaccine mandates. And he, he rejected challenges from God-fearing Americans who said we shouldn't be forced to take an experimental bioinjection, gene-altering at that. And Roberts not only voted for it, but he was able to bring Brett Kavanaugh along. Come on, come on, come on. So that they got a 5-4 majority. And they were allowed to create these mandates. Speaking of Kavanaugh, uh, Kavanaugh, this is really interesting. In 2020, there were only three, in, in regards to the election fraud, there were only three justices who would agree to hear the case involving a couple of cases involving the, the 2020 presidential election. Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch. Well, it takes four to get a case on the docket in the Supreme Court. So I want you to think about that for a second. We could not even find four justices on a court that supposedly has a six to three conservative supermajority to agree to look at the overwhelming evidence of voter fraud in 2020. Why not? Why not? Uh, Neil Gorsuch, speaking of another Trump appointee, uh, he wrote the majority opinion that employers may not hire and fire someone based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. Right? So, I mean, we just need to keep things in perspective, is what I'm saying, and not suddenly feel like this is a new day, a new trend that we've kind of taken back our country, we're now conservative. It is a good thing, make no mistake. And I believe it's in response to the answers of prayer. Maybe this was a hiccup in the Luciferian's plan. Maybe God said, I'm finally going to put a stop to this, and it will put a stop to some of it. But it's by no means a panacea. That's really what I want you to understand. And I want you to understand the bigger picture uh, behind it. Fifth, all of this talk about abortion has highlighted the utter hypocrisy of the Luciferians. Apparently, my body, my choice only applies when you're taking, talking about murdering the unborn. When it comes to mandating dangerous experimental injections or wearing a useless and dangerous mask, it's not your body. It's the government's. The government owns your body, unless we're talking about legalized infanticide. Uh, and then sixth, be very wary of how this will play out in the states. I think this is all part of the plan, too. Remember what happened with the medical tyranny associated with the pandemic. Many conservatives were applauding governors like Abbott and DeSantis for their executive decrees. But be careful, there's an inherent danger there. Whenever we support dictatorial power, we must be prepared for that same power to be wielded and turned back on us at a later time when the decrees are not so favorable. So in the end, I believe this is going to play right into the hands of the Luciferians who will create 50 little domains most of which will continue to enact laws that will allow the murder of innocent children. 
And worse, it will be codified by state legislatures, making it even harder to overturn. So make no mistake, whatever else Friday's SCOTUS decision means, it should not be a mistaken as a signal indicating a change in the Luciferians' murderous agenda. The Luciferians love death. They, they thrive on death. And, uh, and so they're going to continue to murder and kill and so forth. And I have a whole section in the book on depopulation. It will really shock you, I think, to know some of the things that our own government has done uh, through the years admitted. They've actually paid reparations for. Some of them they've not admitted, but it's come out in white papers. So, uh, you know, I just want to encourage you, um, you know, that there is something, there are some things that we can do. Again, I got so much more here, but I wasn't sure where the questions would go, so I wanted to have some slides at my fingertips. But I want to remind you to be prepared uh, as we close out and get ready to take questions. Are you ready? Remember, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. And so who are you counting on to help you in a crisis? Are you counting on the government to help you in a crisis? And if you are, let me just remind you what God's Word says in the book of Jeremiah, for our leaders are stupid. So, okay. <laughs> just a little reminder. Confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. Are you counting on other people to help you in a crisis? Well, I mean, we need each other to be sure, but ultimately that's not where our faith should be because the Bible tells us don't put your trust in princes or other people who cannot save you. So where's your trust? Well, Psalm 20, David tells us some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of our God. So I regret that I didn't have time to give you some potential scenarios and some suggestions about preparedness, but I'm happy to answer questions now and uh, we can spend the next the rest of our time here with some questions. Yes, sir. Yeah, so the question is, I'm going to repeat it just for the tape. Uh, you know, when we talk about doing our own research, how can we tell who to believe? Well, it's becoming harder and harder. Uh, in the book, I have a section on that, and I talk about a Forbes magazine article that came out just, not, just during the pandemic where it says, whatever you do, don't do your own research. Just trust us, right? You know, you're not smart enough to understand the science, uh, so just you know, do your own, don't do your own research. Just trust us. Uh, you know, Pastor John, I think it's... Uh, it, it comes from wisdom of experience, you know, it comes from uh, learning to discern what is uh, misinformation and disinformation, um, finding multiple sources, also being willing to read multiple uh, sources. You know, one of the things that happened in my life when I kind of woke up, and I tell the story about this in the preface to the book, but was I started reading books by authors I would never have read before, and most of them aren't believers. But they have facts. They have documented facts of information that, that I never knew because I was only reading books from the choir, listening to the choir, right? And so I think you've got to broaden your horizons a little bit, learn to eat the meat and spit out the bones. There's no magic pill. There's no one website I can say, this one's always right. I mean, don't even believe everything I'm saying. I mean, you need to validate things through the grid of Scripture and through good research uh, skills. But generally speaking, anything mainstream should raise a red flag, anything anything. Uh, so start with alternative media, but then a lot of the alternative media is controlled. A lot of it's not controlled, but it's just a bunch of wacko nutcases who, you know, you really shouldn't listen to. Um, so, um, you know, I think the, the, the key is to be able to trust your gut, 
you know, learn the Bible, you know, you've you got to have a good solid biblical foundation so that when you hear something, you can immediately get a check in your spirit that says, you know, this doesn't comport with what God's Word says. So I know that's not a simple answer, but that's, uh, those are some of my thoughts. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. The Roman Church is, is the universal church. So, what role does the Vatican have in the religious uh, aspect of the? Movement? So, great question, uh, and I, I, I get that question quite a bit. Um, there's the question is uh, what role? I'm going to boil it down. What role does the Vatican play in the one world religion, especially since it seems to be such a central component, and yet we know scripturally the the one world religion is going to be a pluralistic society. Remember, the Antichrist, Daniel tells us, is going to deny the religion of his fathers. So he's not going to be from any one religion. He's going to be a kind of a former something, right? And so, um, but the Vatican absolutely plays a key role in this. And I mean no offense to any people who may be here or Catholic, or if you're listening, uh, uh, I think we're live streaming, or if you're listening to this later on. Um, but the fact of the matter is you need to do your research about really what's going on at the Vatican and beneath the Vatican and what role they play. So my opinion is that in the seven-year tribulation, there's going to be obviously a rebuilt literal Babylon as part of the revived Roman Empire, and that will be one of the key locations uh, politically for the Antichrist. But much like today, world leaders have multiple places from which they direct. You know, in America, we've got Camp David, Air Force One, we've got, you know, Kennebunkport or wherever they, wherever they go. Uh, and, but wherever the president is, wherever POTUS is, that's the seat of power. Similarly, even though the, the geographic headquarters of the Antichrist will be rebuilt Babylon, I think there's going to be a religious center, which I think is going to be Rome. And even today, Pope Francis is still hobnobbing and bringing up on stage you know, imams and other religious leaders. So he's not exactly hanging on to the sanctity of Roman Catholicism, right? So I think we're seeing the stage being set for Catholicism. Uh, being, you know, brought into this pluralistic system. And then for uh, economic headquarters, at this point, if the rapture were to happen today and this we were to in, enter these end times, I see probably something like New York City would be the, the state uh, place there. Yeah. They reject Vatican II, and they, they basically are still Catholics, but they're Protestants in a sense, because you know, they can't stand what the Pope is doing. Yeah, so the comment is a lot of Catholics are abandoning the Catholic Church, and even some think Pope Francis is the Antichrist. Yeah, there's a definitely a, an exodus of some degree right now. Uh, a lot of that's because some Catholics are becoming Christians. They're trusting in Christ and Him alone for salvation. Um, and they're recognizing that Roman Catholic doctrine is not compatible with what the Bible teaches so uh, but some of it is just there's all sorts of problems there but yeah as far as him being the Antichrist certainly possible I tend to think not uh, but certainly the Vatican is going to play a key role in end times world religion 
Did someone else have a question? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people, but it's not. Yeah, so great question. Uh, com the comment was, you know, they canceled their Facebook page and feel like they're supporting the enemy if they, if they do that, and should we be, I'm just paraphrasing, but should we se be sensitive to some of these things we support? Absolutely. And the problem is the tentacles of Luciferianism are so intertwined with just about everything we do that it's, it's very difficult to, to cut off everything, right? So I think each person really needs to get with the Lord and decide, you know, a bridge too far. Like, you know, like for me, you know, uh, as when I saw that report from Dick's, I'm thinking, and I mean, I don't shop at sporting goods stores often anyway, but I'm thinking I would never go to Dick's Sporting Goods now. Never. But, you know, does that, is that something that we can say is a moral issue that every Christian should do? I don't know. I mean, I think you got to decide. I've never been on Facebook. I uh, never had a personal account. Um, but I, all, a lot of my family and friends do, and there's valid reasons for that. If you want to do research, if you want to stay connected, perhaps, but there's a lot of bad stuff there. But pretty much anything online now, anything is tracked. So, um, and I get into the, the global uh, police tracking system and police grid in the book, a whole chapter on that. So, I mean, I don't see any difference between being on Facebook from that respect versus from a privacy perspective versus searching the internet. But, of course, you're talking about more from what they stand for and so forth. So I would say, you know, if you really do the research, you're going to find out just about everything you buy at the grocery store, everything you buy at, the, at Walmart or whatever store you shop, everything you buy on Amazon, it all can be traced back to just a handful of globalist companies. And unless you move to a mountaintop and live off the land, which I know people have done that, it's going to be tough to insulate yourself from all of it. But I commend anyone who wants to take that stand, and it's between you and the Lord. You ought to do it. You got to do what you can. So yeah. Would you review the things that Matthew 24 and other parts of God's Word that talk about the end times? Would you review those, or should you just buy your token? <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> I can review them, and you can still buy the book. <laughs> so, by the way, we have a special today. There's no limit on how much you can buy at the resource <laughs> Today only. Um, all kidding aside, uh, I'll get to your question in a second, but on the book, Spirit of the Antichrist, we want that message to get out. So if you know someone that would benefit from it, I mean, the feedback has been phenomenal. Um, I mean, and, and it really does awaken people. And most importantly, it's got the gospel in an epilogue at the back. Um, so if you know someone to benefit from, get them one. And while I'm on the subject, we always have a policy at Not By Works. We don't want to make uh, finances ever an issue. So if you are here today or you know someone that maybe can't afford it, 
let me or my wife know we'd love to give it to you as our gift because we want to get the message out. There's very few people promoting the truth about the Luciferian conspiracy from a biblical worldview. So Matthew 24 and 25 is the Olivet Discourse, named that because Jesus preached it from the top of Mount of Olives on Wednesday of Passion Week before on the next day he had the upper room experience with his disciples and then was betrayed in the garden. So the final message that he preached. And it's preached in response to the disciples' question of when will the kingdom come? They basically said Jesus had just cursed the temple, overturned the money changers' tables. He'd looked at the temple and said, you know, not one stone's going to be left upon another. He had, he had rejected the Jerusalem leaders and said, you will not see me again until you cry, Hosanna, until you cry, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting Psalm 118. And so the disciples are quite troubled by this because they had thought, and we know this because Luke tells us in Luke 19 exactly what was in the disciples' minds as they entered Jerusalem on Monday morning of Passion Week. Uh, the disciples thought the kingdom was going to come immediately, that Christ was going to rush into Jerusalem, throw off the shackles of Rome, and set up the kingdom. Luke tells us that. So when the disciples see all these things a couple days later, they're getting upset. So they say, Lord, when is the kingdom going to come? What's the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And so the entire Olivet Discourse, which constitutes two chapters in Matthew, it's also in Luke uh, 21 and Mark 13, um, shorter accounts, uh, is an answer to the question of the kingdom for Israel. It has nothing to do with the rapture. The rapture is not found anywhere in the Olivet Discourse. In fact, the rapture is not even mentioned. It's not even revealed from the mind of God until the next night when Jesus alludes to it in the upper room when he tells the disciples, I will go again to prepare a place. If I go, I'll come again to take you to be where I am. That's an allusion to the rapture. And then it's not spelled out explicitly until Paul's letter to 1 Thessalonians. So we don't find the rapture mentioned. The church wasn't even in existence yet, and the rapture is a mystery for the church. But anyway, so the Olivet Discourse, uh, I, I do get into it uh, in there in my eschatology book, What Lies Ahead, which we also have out there. I have a whole chapter on the Olivet Discourse. But the signs that are talked about there are all signs related to the tribulation. And the parallels between what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and what we see in Revelation 6 are striking. It's clear they're talking about the same event. So the way I would apply that today is if we see the stage being set for these things, and if we know doctrinally the rapture comes before that, which we do, that's very clear, um, even though there's a lot of disagreement on it, that's just Satan's attempt to confuse. The, the church will not be here during Daniel's 70th week. We weren't here for the first 69 weeks. We won't be here for the 70th. God has promised that we're not going to be here when the wrath of God is poured out on the earth, and the wrath starts in Revelation 6 when they're already hiding from the wrath. So, uh, so even though we're not going to be here, it's very uh, relevant because if we see signs setting the stage for the Antichrist and these other things, the abomination of desolation that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, then that must mean the rapture is close. So that's my quick summary of it. Anybody else? Yes. Mm -hmm. the structure with only like six to eight families at the head of it that are true believing, blood drinking, regularly meeting folks. Right. Inquiring minds. Who are they? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find that chart. Uh, I knew I had way too many slides, but better to have too many. I hate to get done and and not and run out of things to say. Where's my cursor? All right, so this is what you're talking about. So 
Um, in my book, Great Last Day's Deception, I actually talk a little bit more about this, but it's uh, families like uh, the royalty of the Netherlands, Queen Beatrice, uh, the Rothschilds, and the best book on this is by, um, it's called Bloodlines of the Illuminati by, uh, oh, his name escapes me, uh, tired, third time I've spoken today. Um, anyway, it'll come to me in a second, but uh, he really goes back and traces. See, the, the, the Luciferians, kind of like old royalty, they like to interbreed and they only will marry and breed with people from the same bloodline. And uh, so it's a lot of those, and, you know, we, we can only trace it back so far, but uh, this Bloodlines of Illuminati really does a great job historically of looking at the birth records and kind of tracing a lot of it back. So, Anybody else? Yes? I agree with So the question is, is there anything we can do to resist this, or is it just inevitable? Absolutely we can resist it, and we've been resisting it for 2,000 years of the church age. So we should continue to fight as hard as we can. When the train pulls up, don't get on the train. Um, obviously, you mentioned evangelism. I think that's the reason the Lord's allowed this to go on so long. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. So the Lord's waiting for people to change their mind about Christ and come to faith in Him. Um, so we need to continue to be urgent about it. Our theme, our core vision at Not By Works for 23 years now has been the, the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. And so these, passage, these messages and presentations on uh, this kind of stuff really key into that third part, the urgency, because and the rapture could happen tomorrow, and you don't want to be left behind and have to you know, be left hoping to trust the, and, and believe the gospel in the, when deception is even worse. But... There are a lot of things we can do, especially on the local level. There are pockets of conservative resurgence and, uh, you know, electing sheriffs who are going to stand for freedom and a lot of things that we, we can do locally. I don't know that we're going to see, I know biblically we're not going to see some massive global revival. That's not the plan of Scripture. The plan of Scripture is it gets worse and worse. See, depravity is a degenerative disease. It doesn't get better, it gets worse. So... But still, we can, we can do certain things to protect our family. Um, I, I didn't have time to get into it, but there are a lot of things we can do to think about you know, the, the fundamental core things that you need, food, water, shelter, protection. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, the Luciferians right now are really focusing on uh, the four, you know, four Fs, a good way to remember it, if I can even remember it. But one is uh, freedom, uh, one is uh, food, firearms, and fear. Those are key focus. It starts with fear. That really should be the first one, because when they get you afraid, you'll do anything. You know, when they scare you to death, you'll do anything. So yeah, I don't. It's not all hopeless by any means. Um, yeah, and we are to, you know, live out our days fighting for freedom and protecting our families. Yeah. Yes. Fritz Springmeier. Fritz Springmeier. Thank you. Yeah, Fritz Springmeier is the one who did Bloodlines of the Illuminati. It's a huge book. I think you can even find it online for free, uh, like a PDF of it, but it's like a table, uh, coffee table size, but real thick. Anybody else? Yes? Yeah. Yeah, so the comment is, you know, could I go into a little more detail about the, the false left-right paradigm in the media? Um, yeah, well, as I showed with that Mockingbird, a brief discussion of that, and again, I've got a, a section on that in the book, but 
that gives more facts and goes into the church committee hearings and quotes some things from the church committee hearings where they all admitted it. They had thousands of CIA agents in print, radio, and TV media for decades. And they were being paid to, to present stories. Um, so they, we know from Carol Quigley uh, that the, the goal of the CFR, which is a key think tank in advancing the Luciferian agenda, was to create a fake right-left paradigm so that you know, people felt like they had their cause, right? And, and, and they could you know, latch onto it. And every four years, they could throw the rascal out if they don't like him and put their guy in or their gal in, whoever it may be. And yet nothing ever changes, right? Um, I mean, we're not, I mean, obviously we've had a major positive development with the overturning Roe v. Wade. But as I mentioned, when you get down to brass tacks, that's not a panacea. It's, it, it may save some lives, but they're ratcheting it up. They're saying, well, you know, it's not like someone who wants, who's, who's determined to get an abortion is not going to get it, especially now if their employer is saying, here, I'll pay you to go get it, you know. So, um, but with that notable exception here in the last 48 hours or whatever, uh, things are not getting better and better politically and globally. Um, so uh, I think it should be self-evident that you know, the media is controlled. Now, it's, again, it's not monolithic. Sometimes you, the, you, you have controlled opposition where they'll give you some, you know, give you a little bit, right? So you feel satisfied, right? And we're going to agree a lot of times with the things we hear from controlled, you know, op opposition agents like Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and people like that. We're going to agree and resonate with some of the things that they say. But if you dig a little deeper and look behind the scenes, you'll find they're controlled, right? They're controlled. Yes, Tucker Carlson's controlled. Sorry to bear the bad news. So, um, so again, you got to. I, I watch both. I don't watch the TV, but I'll go to their websites just to see what the propaganda of the day is and how they're spinning it from each side. But the biggest evidence that both sides are controlled is simply in a nation of 385 million people. You would have to assume that on any given day there are quite a few newsworthy items that independent news agencies should be covering, and yet. You flip on Fox News and you flip on CNN, they're covering the exact same thing. <laughs> Somebody's setting the agenda. You remember Bill O'Reilly, talking points. He got that from Operation Mockingbird. They issued talking points to the various news agencies who then, you know, reported the news. I mean, this goes way back. This goes way back in, uh, I mean, it goes back to the Kennedy assassination, 1963. The Associated Press reported on Australia, got the time zones wrong, reported in Australia, released a press release in Australia that they had gotten, uh, what's his name, Oswald, before anyone even knew Oswald existed. I mean, it was, oops, <laughs> just like they reported Building 7 falling into its own footprint. And when it was still standing behind the reporter, yeah, just, just in, the Solomon Brothers building temp, uh, has collapsed into its own fo footprint, and there it is, standing right behind him, and everybody's going, what, what? They're just reading a script. They're just reading a script. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it seems, uh, I would, uh, I hope that helps give you a little more fodder to go on, but it's a, it's a definite problem. Yes? That what? So the comment is Simone Gold, I think serving time right now, right? 60 days or something, unbelievable. Um, I mean, just crazy, uh, that she's recommending we start a parallel s system. And what does she mean by that, like a parallel? Just to get out of the matrix, basically. 
Yeah. Yeah, you can get out of the to, to just get out of the matrix. I mean, people do it. It's not easy today. It is not easy. I mean, you think about what that would involve to literally drop off the grid. It, it's doable, but uh, you know, I think you know, for for me, for example, and my family, you know, we feel like we have a calling. We have, you know, I'm a pastor also, and I I want to preach the gospel and I want to make a difference in this world, and I feel like. You know, I'm kind of eyes wide open. You know, I still use technology, obviously, and I, you know, buy a cup of coffee now and then, things like that. But I'm fully aware of what's going on, and we're prepared. You know, if things were to collapse, we're going to be, you know, ahead of, of most people. But, yeah, I don't know about, I mean, it would be great if we could create our own system, but I'm not sure how realistic that is. But I would, I'd be on board for trying. So. All right, last question, because I know we're getting late, and you guys probably want to head home and get that nap that you missed. <laughs> so I haven't heard that. The comment is the CIA reportedly moved their headquarters to Denver. No, they're still very much in Langley, but Denver is, uh, once we got uh, those documents uh, released by Ollie North back during the Iran-Contra affair, I can't remember the name of them. Some of you may know. But uh, I talk about this in one of my books. Uh, they, Denver, when they built the new airport, built part of that plan was, and the reason they commandeered and took all those private land from people with eminent domain, was to create essentially a new uh, capital in the event of a catastrophe. It's called Continuity of Government, COG. Rex 84 was the document. So Continuity of Government. So I know that there's a big presence here, and there, are, you know, a lot of the elites, which is another indication that something is coming, as they're moving out of the big cities and building bunkers. And I know the Bush dynasty has built a big underground bunker, and I think it's Brazil or somewhere in South America that's near one of the largest aquifers, because you know that's what you need: food, water, protection, and shelter. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think uh, it's the case that they've like moved their headquarters here. So. Well, I'm happy to stick around. I've got no agenda. I'll meet everybody out at the table. Um, can you ask me at the table? Well, last we'll question. I'm a sucker for a question. Last question. I just, have you ever heard of this going into history? Have you ever heard of this going into history? Because it's happened. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not uh, uh, familiar with that. Sorry, that's that's very intriguing. Yeah. The, the comment was: a, a New England state, possibly Maryland or Delaware, up to a, a certain date, did not allow Catholics to vote. But yeah, there's some weird laws out there for sure. Hey, thank you guys so much. You're awesome. I'm really grateful. And, uh, we will. Love to do this again. Love to do this again sometime. Uh, and want to again thank John and Majestic View. Hey, let me, before you leave, let me close us in prayer.